I am, uh, I am excited about the opportunity to continue our series this morning as we've been looking at different heroes of faith. And we're going to look at one of the great heroes today. We're going to look at Moses. To help us with that, I want to, uh, I want to invite your attention to the book of Exodus. We're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 3 and then a little bit of time in chapter 4. I want us to go back and look at what is probably a familiar story, uh, but, but we need to look at it through the eyes and ears of adults. I've mentioned this before. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is because when we're children, we hear the stories in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school, and we look up to those heroes, and we make the mistake of thinking that those are special kind of people, that God uses those special kind of people, uh, and they're different than we are. This morning, I want to challenge us to hear the story again, but to hear it not as a child who looks up to those heroes that are different from us, but I want us to hear it through the through the ears and, and, and see it again through the eyes of young people and adults who can recognize that God uses normal everyday folks to do amazing things. Yeah, they're still our heroes, but the reason they are our heroes is because they had great faith, not because they had great abilities. We're going to see that perhaps in a new way as we look at the story of Moses, uh, maybe with a little different perspective than we did when we were young. Exodus chapter 3, if we begin at verse 1, we see the story with which we're familiar. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Now we've got to stop right there already. Notice Moses, who by the way, is not a young man at this point. He's, he's already up in age. And what is he doing? He is taking care of his father-in-law's business. He doesn't have his own sheep. He doesn't have his own business. He in, his, in himself is not really worth a whole lot, financially speaking, monetarily. He is, he's really just a hired hand for, this, for his father-in-law. One day when Moses had grown up, he went, I'm sorry, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. The flame of fire is coming from the midst of the bush. He looks and he can see that there is fire. It's important, I think, that it's described as from the midst of the bush. In other words, this is not a fire that kind of came and, and just caught the bush from something. It, that would have been on the outside of the bush moving in. But this is the flame in the midst of the bush starting from the middle because this is not a normal fire that just kind of spread from something else. This is, a, this is a supernatural fire that started right in the middle. And he looks over and he sees the flame 
in the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He had such an awe and such a reverence of God that he, as soon as he realized he was in the presence of God, he humbled himself, he hid his face, he wouldn't look, he was afraid that he might make the mistake of looking at, a, at the holy God. And the Lord said in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now listen to that question. Today I want to show you that Moses asked a question and then God asked a question. And first we notice that Moses asked a question. He said, Who am I? God your plan sounds good, man. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that needs to happen. But who am I? I'm not worthy to be the guy to make that happen. I'm not smart enough to be that guy. Later he says, I don't speak well enough to be that guy. He says, there aren't enough people who know me for me to be that guy. He gives God a list of excuses Beginning with this question, who am I? I'm not worthy. I can't do that. Moses failed to understand at the beginning, although he later learned. He failed to, be, to understand at the beginning something that you and I need to get this morning, and that is that God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. The fact that Moses didn't speak well, the fact that he was not well known, the fact that he probably felt like he wasn't smart enough or brave enough or strong enough or whatever enough made him the perfect choice for God's plans. Why? Because it became clear that whatever happened had to have been of God. It couldn't have been Moses, because Moses wasn't worthy. He wasn't smart enough. He wasn't brave enough. He wasn't big enough. 
The point is that God uses ordinary people. And so when Moses looks at himself, he says, who am I to be asked to do something that important? But look at what the Bible says about Moses. Moses' reaction is, who am I? But the Bible says of him, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. It says also in Deuteronomy, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. How, wouldn't it be great if that was what was put on your tombstone, your obituary in the Waco Trib, instead of listing all this? Up, it said he was a servant of God. Moses said, who am I? Well, the Bible later says, here's who he was. He, he was a servant of God. In Numbers it says, not so with my servant. This is God speaking about Moses. God says of Moses, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Exodus says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Scriptures showed us over and over what made Moses great. Moses questioned, who am I? Look at the scriptures we just looked at. What made him a hero? Time after time it said he served the Lord. He was a servant of God. His faith and his willingness to serve is what made him great. You see, God uses ordinary people. He is not nearly as concerned about your ability as he is about your availability. He's not nearly as concerned about what you can do on your own as much as are you willing to let him do what he wants to do in you and through you. God uses ordinary people on purpose. That's what makes the plan so great. Matter of fact, if you look through the scriptures, you'll see the ordinary people that God used. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David was an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. And Elisha was bald. God bless him. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Andrew lived in the shadow of his big brother. Peter kept putting his foot in his mouth. All the disciples fell asleep when they prayed. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Zacchaeus was too short. Timothy had an ulcer. Paul was a Christian killer. And what about Lazarus? He was dead. God uses ordinary people on purpose. 
so that when people see what God is doing, there's no confusion. They know that this must be of God. But not only does God use ordinary people, but God also uses ordinary things. God uses ordinary things. We looked at the story in chapter 3. Jump forward now, if you will, to chapter 4. I want to show you something else in chapter 4. We pick it up at verse 1. Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, It's a staff. Moses asked a question a while ago. Moses' question was, Who am I? Then God asked a question What's that in your hand? Moses looked at his hand. He said, It's just a stick. That's all it is. It's just a stick. Verse 3, he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. That makes sense, don't it? What's that in your hand? It's a stick. Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And Moses did the only thing any intelligent man of God would do. He ran. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Now, I have intentionally not been around very many snakes by design. But even, even fat old bald city boy like me knows if you're going to pick up a snake, you're not going to pick it up by the tail. There's a reason God told him to pick it up by the tail because it makes no sense. You pick up a snake by the tail, what's the snake going to do? He's going to turn on you, isn't he? If you're fool enough to pick up a snake, you're going to pick him up behind the head, right? So he can't get that head around at you. There's a reason that God said pick it up by the tail. Hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's just a stick. Throw it down. He throws it down. There's a snake all of a sudden. That's crazy enough. Moses did the smart thing. He ran, and then God says, come back. What? And then he says, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. In the middle of verse 4, he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. There's a reason that the st- 
stick became a snake and there's a reason that God said pick it up by the tail so that people would believe that God was God. He uses ordinary things. And then fast forward real quick to verse 20 of this same chapter because I want to show you something that's exciting. You fast forward, we're in Exodus 4 at verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You see the major change that has happened between verses 1 and 2 and now verse 20? Moses, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's just a stick. Now, that just a stick, all of a sudden, has become the staff of God. It's still just made out of wood. It's still just a stick. But now, that simple stick has been entrusted to the power of an almighty God. And now, that stick is the staff of God. And it is that very stick that proves the power of God. And so it becomes a sign. And, and when, when Moses gets to his people, he goes to the elders first, and he says, God sent me to take y'all home. And here's how I can prove it. And he pulls out the staff of God. And he throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And he picks it up, and it becomes the staff of God. God gave him that sign so that he could show it to them later and prove God is in this thing. And what used to be just a walking stick now is the staff of God. And so when he leads the people out of Egypt, and they get to the sea, promised land is on the other side but in order to get to the promised land we got to go through the sea but the sea is big and it's and and it's deep and we can't get there because of this so we turn around but now we can't turn around because the enemy's coming Pharaoh didn't like the fact that Moses took the people from Egypt. So now Pharaoh and his whole army are coming after them in the wilderness. I got a sea ahead of me. I got an army behind me. What am I going to do? Where am I going to turn? God was not surprised, and neither is he surprised when you get that call from the doctor. Neither is he surprised when your world falls apart. I'm not saying he causes it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's not surprised by it. We can trust him. He's not in shock like we are when those things happen. Moses, at the banks of the sea, he can't go forward. Enemies behind him, he can't go back. So what does he do? He uses the staff of God and he holds it over the sea and the waters part. The Bible says that Moses led the people, by now numbering around a million people. And he leads them, the Bible says, on dry land. They get across to the other side. 
Pharaoh and his, Pharaoh's army following behind. Pharaoh's army gets in that same dry seabed. And at just the right moment, the waves come crashing in and the enemy is defeated. You see, when it looks like there is no way, we can trust the God who makes a way. He always makes a way. And sometimes he does it even with just ordinary silly stuff. What is that in your hand? It's just a stick. Oh, but if you give that silly stick to God, it becomes the staff of God, and he'll do great and amazing things for his glory and for his purposes. The people finally get on the other side of that sea, but before they can get to the promised land, they have to walk through the wilderness for some time. You walk through the wilderness with a million people, some people are not going to like that too much. There's going to be some complaining. My goodness, you walk down the hall with 20 people, there's going to be some complaining sometime. Walking across the wilderness with a million people and people start getting hungry, they start getting thirsty, they start saying, let's go back, we want this, we want that. They get to a point where they're really thirsty. And God says, Moses, what are we going to do? And it is the staff of God with which Moses strikes the rock and the water comes forth. What's that in your hand? It's just a stick until you give it to God and then it becomes the staff of God with which he can give water to thirsty people. They get on past that, they get on past that wilderness experience. There is a time when the enemy army is at battle. God says, lift the staff. And when the staff was lifted, God's people started winning in the war. When he got tired and his arms started coming down, the staff came down, they started losing. He said, lift the staff. And as long as the staff was lifted, God's people were victorious, wound up winning that battle against the Amalekites. How? Why? It's just a stick. But when you trust him with the little that you have, he does great and amazing things for his purpose and his glory. So let me ask you, what's in your hand? They asked a kid that one time, hey kid, what's in your hand? <laughs> Just a couple of fish and some bread. <laughs> it's just my sack lunch. Not much. And Jesus took a couple of fish and some bread and fed the multitudes. What's that in your hand, widow? Oh, it's just my last two coins. It's not much. It's just, it's, it's really not even equivalent to a, a penny in a way. It, it's not much. And Jesus drew attention and said, hey, everybody, that little bit she gave was all she had, so it counts a whole lot more than that 10 bucks you threw in when you're sitting on 50,000. What's in your hand? Say, I don't have much. Well, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. You don't have much. But God uses the little that we have 
to do great things for his purposes and his glory. If God can use a stick to establish a nation to provide for their needs and destroy their enemies, imagine what he can do with whatever you have. So, two questions. Moses said, who am I? Just a normal everyday person. This morning, you and I would say, who am I? I'm just a normal everyday person. And then God's question, what's that in your hand? Just normal everyday stuff. But you see, that's what God uses. He uses ordinary people and ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. What's in your hand? What's in your pocket? What's in your purse? What's in your closet? What's in your car? What's in your living room or your kitchen? Ordinary people with ordinary things fulfill his plans and his purposes. Ordinary people with ordinary things are the building blocks of the church itself. The kingdom of God is filled with ordinary people and ordinary things who are willing to serve their extraordinary king.